0: When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. About. Like, I think about pink elephants. I'm like, what are they? Are they painting with pink paint? And they got some flatter on them, but they're pink. I immediately think of it. Um, I don't know what it is. Something about humans, as soon as you told me not to do something, like, my mind immediately goes there. Like, don't look at that. I'm like, you got to see what you're telling me not to look at. Like, what's going on? Our human tendency seems to always do naturally what they told us not to. Every year for Halloween, I watch Ghostbusters. Um, And I did it again this year with Darby. And there's that great scene, right, where Gozer the Destroyer is coming to destroy New York City and they're like, whatever you imagine, that's the form he's gonna take. And they're like, don't think of anything, don't think (laughs) of anything. And Ray's like, I thought of marshmallows, the mascot of marshmallows, and it's a giant Stay Puft marshmallow man who's gonna destroy them. I mean, what would you do if you're like, don't think of anything? I would immediately think of something. That's just how I am. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to look at the words of Jesus, where He says, "Don't be anxious." And we're like, "Yeah, that's really easy to say, Jesus. How am I supposed to do that?" Right? Like, it's easy to say, "Don't be anxious," but as soon as you say, "Don't be anxious," I'm like, Ooh, "What do I have to be anxious about?" Like, I run through a list of all these things, and then sometimes when I don't feel anxious, I'm like, "Why am I not feeling anxious?" I get anxious about not being anxious, and so, come on, Jesus, don't be anxious. Like that's really, really hard. My personality type is that I'm usually thinking about the future, I'm anticipating problems, I'm trying to uh, be strategic, but the downside to that is I'm always thinking about problems that haven't happened yet, I stay pretty anxious, I'm fighting invisible enemies in my mind that don't even exist yet. And in our world today, in our country today, we seem to have more anxious people than ever before. Uh, If you just look at how many prescriptions for mental health drugs there are in the U.S., there's about 250 million written every year. There's only 328 million people in the U.S. Uh, Now, some of those prescriptions are for multiple, for the same people, but still, that's a lot. Um, In 1951, psychologists estimated that there was about one bipolar diagnosis for every 10,000 people. Today, psychologists say there's about one for every 20 in the United States of America. So something's changed, right? Millennials are the most anxious generation on record. The anxiety levels for your average millennial are actually so high that in the 1950s, they would have locked you up. And 2020 has been a year with anxieties, right? We've had COVID, we've had racial tensions, we've had economic collapse, we have politics. There's a little thing called the election next week. Some people are really, really anxious about it. One of my friends joked, he wouldn't be surprised if hostile aliens attacked this year and just started like, killing us all because he's like, it's 2020, right? Something crazy happens here, but it's like, it's 2020. Of course that would happen in 2020. So how do we not be anxious? How do we embrace this teaching of Jesus? He's like, don't be anxious. It's like, how are we supposed to do that? It's 2020, Jesus. Edwin Friedman was a rabbi and author, and he wrote these books. Um he coined this phrase the non-anxious presence and this was his big premise if you want to skip reading his books his big premise was this if you have a chaotic home if one person in that home could be a non-anxious presence it will change the entire family and i think if one person could be a non-anxious presence in your community it would transform your neighborhood I think that if we can be a non-anxious presence, if we can embrace and live out Jesus' teachings to not be anxious, it's going to change everything around us. Our one choice to be to not be anxious, to be students of Jesus' non-anxious presence, I think could transform everyone around us. I think our our community. Our neighborhoods, our families, our city, our country, our world desperately needs people to live out Jesus' command to not be anxious. So, how do we do it? That's what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 6, we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus outlines what it looks like to live and love like him. To be what he calls a disciple of his way of life, a student, and apprentice of Jesus. Here's where we pick up. Chapter 6, verse 25. I've heard a bunch of talks in my life With my family, did go to church They started going to church And then I spent most of my life in churches I've heard a lot of talks about this passage And well meaning folks say something like this See, anxiety is a choice Jesus says don't worry So just choose not to worry I don't know about you, but that's never worked for me I don't, can't just be like In the midst of worrying and be like Okay, I'm going to stop Like that's not how worry works, right? I don't, maybe that's how it works for you It doesn't work like that For me, I I just can't turn it on and off. So what does Jesus say? Uh, I think he's saying more than just that it's a choice. Um, Let me, first of all, though, before we jump into this, say this. I think some people need medication. I think some people need counseling. And that is not shameful. Uh, If you break your arm, you do not go to a pastor and say, Hey, will you put my arm in a cast? Because pastors know nothing about that. And yet sometimes... When people have chronic anxiety or depression, they're like, I'll go to a pastor, and he'll handle that for me. I'm not trained to handle psychological diseases. That's why we have psychologists and psychiatrists, and I'm grateful for them and thankful for them. Um, I'm happy to talk about where you're at, but if you have problems beyond my area of expertise, I'm going to refer you to a professional who knows what they're doing. Um, but, all that to said, I think something has shifted in our American environment that has made all of us more prone to anxiety. I've had some friends who they just had a chemical imbalance in their brain, that's the way that their bodies work, and they needed to be on medication to correct this missing levels in their body. I'm grateful for that. But I think that there are some things in our lives that have made us more prone to anxiety that isn't something that needs necessarily medicated or needs us to undergo a serial, serious psychological examination. It's things in our environment that produce unnecessary anxiety that we can escape by embracing the way Jesus lived and loved. Um, I just want to share with you some of my anxiety so you know I'm not up here, you know, this week. Talking the man, I've got this all figured out. You guys don't know what you're doing, but I do. That's not that's not how it is with this at all. Um, it's never like that. But especially with this subject, I was driving to work this week, and um, I only work about a mile from my house. And I drive an old, beat-up Toyota Yaris with the side uh, crushed in, where it's been hit by uh, uh, somebody who uh, hit the side of me. You know, it's pretty bad shape. It's got 250,000 miles. It kind of chugs along. It gets me my one mile to work, right? Um, but I, I live, or I work on the main line, and so um, a lot of times my car stands out, right? Cause there's Audis and BMWs, and then there's my Toyota Yards with the trusted out sides and stuff. And so a lot of times I get pulled over by police officers cause it doesn't look like I fit, you know? They're like, what's this car doing here? Um, so I was driving into work and there was a police officer in front of me, and I was like, I just got this overwhelming anxiety, He's gonna pull me over. I was like, this guy's gonna pull me over. And my mind starts racing. That he's gonna pull me over, but I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Why is he gonna pull me over? And then I'm like, okay, wait. He's in front of me. It's all good. When he pulls off, lets me go by so he can get behind me. I'm like, oh no, it's over. And I immediately run into my brain. I'm like, I haven't done anything wrong. He's gonna find something wrong that I've done. I'm gonna be in trouble somehow, somehow. And my brain starts running with all this. He doesn't pull me over. I pull into work. I get it on. My it's all good. I go in and I start working, and my wife Darby sends me a text, she goes, our car insurance didn't come out this month. That's really weird, were you checking? So I pulled it up, um, and it says, your car insurance has been canceled. I'm like, what? Why has it been canceled? So I start freaking out, and then I'm like, oh man, what if that police officer had pulled me over and I didn't have valid car insurance? Now my anxiety start running about a scenario that didn't even happen, and I'm like, He's going to handcuff me. He's gonna, I'm like, that's in the past. It can't even happen. And my anxiety is already about this. And I'm talking to Darby, and I'm like, you got to fix this, call them, find out what happened. Because, oh my gosh. And I'm like, that's how anxiety works, right? Maybe you, at this point you're like, this guy's crazy. I don't want to listen to anything else he has to say. But I think if we're honest, you probably have some moments like that. And you think, what in the world just happened? Like, why am I feeling these Why did my brain run in all these crazy directions? Thankfully, it was a minor mistake. They had asked for some information back in August. We had given it to them, but they had failed to update their records, and so they had canceled the policy in October. They immediately reinstated it, and it was all good. And I was all stressing about things that didn't even exist, that didn't even happen. So what do we do? How do we become non-anxious presences instead of crazy, anxious people? Uh, Notice the first word here, is the word there therefore um, in verse 25 therefore i tell you don't worry about your life this is a direct continuation from last week's message um, when we have a relationship with money like jesus did when we fast like jesus did when we give and pray like jesus did really when we embrace all of this sermon on the sermon on the mount when we love our enemies like jesus did he says then you'll be free from anxiety he says it's not just a choice where you're like, okay, I'm going to turn off my anxiety. He says when you embrace my way of life, you're going to find that it's a way of life that frees you from many of the things that you get anxious about. Even if we just took Jesus' teaching from last week where he's like, you own nothing, I own everything. All of a sudden that releases a lot of your anxiety about, what if I lose my money? What if I lose my job? What? If, Jesus is like, you've never had any of those things. I've always had them. Let go of your anxiety. Embrace my way of life. And so it's not just about making a one-time choice to say, turn off my anxiety. It's about whether or not I'm going to choose day after day to embrace the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Practicing the Sermon on the Mount frees us from a host of anxieties that could be avoided if we live and love like Jesus. See, I can't complain that I feel anxious if I'm not practicing the lifestyle that Jesus said would free me from anxiety. That morning that I was so anxious, I got up in a rush, I made my coffee, grabbed my things, ran out the door, I didn't pray, I didn't think about God, I didn't read a lick of scripture, I didn't do anything spiritual, I didn't do anything to center myself that I was existing that day for God. I was just in a rush, I was in a hurry, I woke up late, and anxiety flooded into my life. Anxiety oftentimes is a spiritual dashboard light, like you know, on your car, you have a dashboard and little lights come up when something's wrong, right? If you have a really fancy car, they'll a tire pressure low. If you have a car like mine, it's just like check engine constantly, but you never really know why, you know? you like it's just old. Um, anxiety can be a dashboard warning light in your spiritual life that you slipped out of the footsteps of Jesus and you started to head out on your own direction. Notice some of the quick points that Jesus makes in here, just to call out. Verse 25, he says, stuff will never satisfy you, and no amount of worrying, uh, and no amount of having things will take away worry. He says, why do you care about eating or drinking or about clothes? These things aren't going to make you worry less. Sometimes we think, if I had more of this, I'd have less worry. But you know what happens? As you get more stuff, your worry tends to go up because you have more to lose. Getting more never makes you worry less. I've met people who have very little and are not worried, and I've met people who have millions in the bank, and they're some of the most anxious people I've ever met because they realize everything that gives them value is very fragile and could disappear overnight if a stock market crash happens. In verses 26 and 28, Jesus says, look at nature. Nature never worries, and yet nature has enough. We live in an abundant world, not a world of scarcity. I think most of the time I'm anxious because I'm imagining that God is a God of scarcity. Like, he's stingy. He's frugal. He's like, no, I'm not going to help you out. now i'm going to reserve some of this stuff this is for other people this isn't for you instead of imagining a god who is abundant who gives abundantly who is generous who would literally go to the cross for us and pour out his very life to rescue us verse 27 jesus says worry wastes energy he says it doesn't rob tomorrow of its problems it robs day of its strength he says you know what Tomorrow's going to have different things to worry about. Stop worrying about that now. What's right in front of you? What can you do right now? Verse 32, he says, worry is the business of those who don't believe in a loving God. He calls them pagans. Now, this wasn't a knock on that, on people. Pagans was essentially a term for people who weren't Jewish, who weren't practicing a uh, religion. He's like, this is what non-religious people, people who don't believe in God, this is what they think People who believe that there are just gods out there who are fighting all the time and aren't with them and for them. He says this is what they worry about. But if you believe in a loving God, you don't have to worry about these things. Many times when we worry, we act like Christian atheists. We say we believe in a loving God, but we act like we don't believe in a loving God. Verse 34, Jesus says, worry keeps us from being fully in the moment. We're missing what's happening right in front of us because we're worrying about what's going to happen next. We're worrying about what happened in the past. I love this definition of worry by this pastor in Portland, John Mark Comer. He says, worry is imagining a future without Jesus. Every time you worry, you're imagining a future without a loving God who would lay down his life on a cross for you. If he would go to that length for you, why are you worried We imagine a future without Jesus. As a disciple, as a student of Jesus, there is no future without Jesus. So anxiety is imagining a future that will never exist because Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we're anxious, we're imagining a fictional world that does not exist because Jesus isn't going anywhere. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live in the kingdom with Jesus as our king. According to Jesus, the best life, the blessed life, isn't where we have everything we want. The best life, the highest pinnacle of human living, is when we live with Jesus as our king. If there is no future without Jesus, we do not need to worry about a future without blessing, without provision, without his abundant love. I know some people are really stressing out about next week. How are things going to go? What's going to happen? I know this. Jesus will still be king. There is no future where there is not Jesus in it. One person may be in presidency. Another person may not. But you know what? Jesus will still be in that future. There's no future you can imagine where Jesus isn't there so i want to spend a few minutes diving deeper into what jesus teaches here i know i just hit quickly some of the things he says about worry. Um, the philosopher dallas willard said hurry is the greatest enemy to your spiritual health we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry and i think jesus seems to agree as he teaches about worry he seems to agree with the statement that hurry is the greatest enemy to your spiritual health and i think hurry is the um, is going to be the thing in your life that most often leads to work. Notice Jesus' advice in this passage. He tells us to do several things. Notice what he says, though, about, in verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. Jesus tells us to go bird watching. Isn't that kind of weird? He essentially says, consider, look at it. Spend some time dwelling on birds and thinking about them. How many of you were like, you know, I was, I was looking at some birds this week really thinking deeply on them. That's not me. Yo, you were. Awesome. I'm glad that somebody was, but I was not. Um, but that's what Jesus told us to do. You know the people usually watching birds, you don't fit into the category, but it's usually like an old man in the park, right? And he's like, got some bread. That's who I think of watching birds. You know, people who are retired and they've slowed down and they're like, yeah, what else do I have to do? I'm going to be birds in the park, right? Um, I'm too busy to watch birds. Like, I just don't have time to stop and watch birds, Jesus. What are you doing? The other thing, look what he says. Have you stopped and considered the wildflowers of the field? Look at um, verse 28. He says, Observe how the wildflowers grow. Now, he doesn't just say, Notice the wildflowers or pick them. He says, Watch them grow. Have you ever heard that expression like watching paint dry or watching grass grow? That's essentially what Jesus is telling us to do slow down. Have you seen the wildflowers grow? Have you seen a plant grow? Have you watched it grow day by day, steadily getting bigger? No, because I don't have time for that, Jesus. Like, I can't make time to watch grass grow, uh, to watch plants grow. People who slow down and garden and work with their hands and watch day after day as something slowly matures and grows. That's what he's telling us to do. He's saying, slow down. You want to not worry? Slow down stop moving at such a hectic face. you need to start noticing the tiny little things happening all around you you live in a world of abundance yes our world is broken because of sin and death but there is so much good and abundance and growth happening all around you and we miss it because we're flying past it our schedules are so intense We have so much to do, so much to accomplish. We're constantly being bombarded. My phone is constantly chiming and chirping at me. It's a news story. It's a notification. It's a text message. It's a phone call. It's an email. And he's like, slow down. You want to not worry? Slow down and notice the grass growing. Notice the birds circling overhead. Notice the birds storing up seeds. Slow down. I think there's a host of practical suggestions to combat worry here number one get outside notice both things he suggests for us is watch birds and watch grass. these are things you can't do inside get outside there's actually scientific studies about this that humans get more encouraged when they're under the sun's light like getting sunlight is important for us it provides vitamin d to our bodies but there's just something about being outside and being a little the sun on your skin and the wind um, blowing past like get outside we'll notice the little things that god has incorporated all over our universe the little things that say i am here and i am good and i've shared abundance then the second one i think is do whatever it takes to slow down Douglas willard said we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. I'm not very ruthless when it comes to eliminating hurry. I, I like hurrying from one thing to the next thing and like having a busy schedule all lined up and just hitting it all out. And Jesus says, slow down. Do whatever it takes to slow down. If you want to combat worry, you must slow down. And then the third thing I think he teaches here is take time to marvel. When was the last time you marveled at the way that a bird flew? Or you marveled at the way that a wildflower Burst through the concrete. Like, I just don't stop. I don't slow down to see these things. I'm too busy ready for one task to the next. And Jesus says, find some moment. Take a moment this week where something's happening, it's unusual, it's different, and just stop and marvel at that moment. Maybe you see something beautiful. Maybe you experience something unique. And you just stop and you say, This is Beautiful. This is wonderful. Marvel and worship at a God who lets you experience it. Maybe you're out walking and there's just a a swirl of leaves dancing across the wind. You know, most of the time I'm like, "Well, I got to get to my next task. I got to get this next thing done." I have a limited amount of time. Stop and enjoy that moment. And Jesus says, "These things will combat worry in our lives." Now, Jesus ends with this profound statement in verse 33. He says, "Seek first the kingdom." And you'll have what you need. When we make God's priorities our priorities, he meets our needs. See, a lot of times my priority is my needs, not what God wants. And I'm like, once I get my needs met, I'll meet your needs, God. You know, I'll try to do what you've asked for. And God says, no, if you make me your first priority, I'm going to take care of these things that you need. Not everything you want, but what you need. See, I think we can spend our life chasing things God wants to give us, or we can chase what God wants, and He'll just naturally give us things along the way. I know a lot of people who are like, you know what? I'm going to serve God when He does this for me. Like, I'm going to do what God wants once He gives me this. Once my life's on the right track because He's given me this, then I'll do these things for Him, right? Like, all the time, people will be like, once I get married, or once I have this job, once I have this career, once I have this thing, once I have that, then I'll get on the right track over here. God's like, hey, get on the right track. And you'll find that these things are on that track. They're not like, you get them, and then you get on the right track. He's like, put me first, and you'll find that I have what you need. I'm anxious when my first priority is something other than Jesus in my day and in my life. When my first priority is my kingdom expanding, me getting what I want, instead of his kingdom expanding, him getting what he wants, worry is going to fall. I'm anxious when the first thing I do is rise and jump into the day, instead of stopping to thank him, that I'm alive. I'm alive, I'm sane, I'm healthy, Relative, a little overweight, right? But I'm healthy, like I can walk. What was the last you were like, gosh, I can walk? See, I'm moving so fast, I forget to thank him for the everyday blessings. And so I start to worry about everything because I haven't chosen to be thankful. Hurry, busyness, and nonstop stimulus will make us anxious people. And I'm, I'm an anxious person because I have been trying to do too much in too little time. I've been too distracted. I have too many electronic devices chiming in my ears. I don't even binge watch TV anymore without also doing something, you know, like playing a Nintendo Switch or having a cell phone game in my hand. Like I've just gotten so used to constantly being distracted, and that leads to anxiety. Human beings were not designed to be connected all the time. Do you remember before, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they had to call you on a landline. If you weren't near that landline. Um, young people watching online, are like, what the heck is the landline, right? <laughs> but there used to be a phone in your home, and you couldn't get on the internet on it. And um, it had a really long cord, so your mom could pace back and forth. But you, if you weren't at home, they couldn't call you. And then pagers came along, right? And they could leave you a message, like, oh, I gotta call this back. But now, literally, people can call you any time of the day, any place, and they demand instant access to you. Bosses work, works in your text. In the middle of the night, or you know, when you're not there and you used to be able to put that aside and not focus on it, now it's non stop. You can never get away, you can never disconnect. I think we need to practice the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and simplicity and prayer to combat anxiety. We need to say, I need to do away with some things, they're unnecessary if I want to live a non anxious life if my family needs me to be a non-anxious presence if my community needs that if my city needs that we live in an overstimulated world with notifications and messages and calls and news alerts we tend to be over entertained with video games and binge watching and apps we feed our souls on a diet of anxiety producing goods and then we're surprised when we're anxious let me tell you, I eat poorly, and that's why I look like this. I'm not surprised by that, right? I don't exercise enough, and I eat poorly. I love donuts, and so I look like this, right? I'm not surprised, though. And yet, somehow we we eat, spiritually eat, an anxiety-filled diet, and we're surprised when we're anxious people. And we're like, Jesus, just make the anxiety go away. And he's like, change how you eat. Change what you do. I'm anxious because I have a steady diet of destructive things and rarely practice the ways of Jesus. And I think that's probably true for some of you. In Philippians 4.6, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Feeling anxious this week? Feeling anxious maybe going into next week? Put down your phone, or you turn it off for a little bit. See how long you can go without your phone. It's amazing. Like if you say, okay, hey, I'm not working today no one needs to get a hold of me, turn it off for 24 hours. Get off social media. Uh, There's all kinds of studies right now about how people who get off social media actually feel like their lives have improved even though nothing has changed except stopping being on social media. People on social media have an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. Who knew social media would have such a destructive uh, effect in our lives? I mean, I, I click it, and I'm like, oh, no likes. People hate me. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> it seems crazy, but that's what we're training our brains to think. We click it, oh, people, oh, people like me. I feel good. Oh, man, they just got what I wanted. Uh, now I feel disappointed. Why didn't God give me that? He gave them that. We're addicted to our phones. Researchers found that smartphone use, this is quote, was in fact associated with symptoms of anxiety and depression, as well as increased experiences of stress. The more participants used their smartphones every day, the more likely they were to experience symptoms associated with these disorders and report being anxious and stressed, end quote. Um, the study also found that most people touch their cell phones 30,000 times a day. Now, that doesn't mean how many times you're holding it, but literally each touch. So, that makes it the most touched thing in your life. More than your own body, more than your loved one, more than any other thing in your life your smartphone. They said high end users were touching their phone over 50,000 times a day, and they said with each touch you're more likely to be anxious or depressed. Our culture, our world, our modern, technologically advanced world that we live in has seemingly been designed to make us anxious and stressed. It lives completely contrary to the ways of Jesus. And living in the kingdom of Jesus may look like turning off your phone sometimes. I try to turn mine off for 24 hours a week, I pick a day and I say, my phone's gonna be off this day. And uh, sometimes I turn it back on and there's some fires to put out and there's some things, but it's good for my soul to just take 24 hours and be disconnected. Leaving it in a drawer when you go out to dinner with your spouse means that you'll actually be looking them in the eye instead of constantly distracted. Darby loves when I do that or I'll leave it in the car when we're going in to eat because if I have it, I'm going to be distracted. I do not have the willpower to say, don't look at that chime, don't look at that notification. I have to know, so I just leave it in the car so that I can focus on her. Remember the 90s? Like Most of you in here probably remember the 90s. Maybe some of you watching online can't, but. Um, in the 90s, I got bored a lot. We stood in lines back then, and we didn't have games to play or emails to check or notifications to, you know, look at. uh, We were just bored. Um, We would wait for things, we would sit around uh, waiting to be picked up, you know, and I'm like, I was bored a lot. But what I found was in those moments of boredom, I would find myself reciting scripture, or whispering prayers, or thinking deeply on something that was happening in my life. Now, in the moments where I used to be bored, I turned to my phone to entertain me, or distract me. I'm not bored anymore, but I am anxious. And I think many times today we have traded our boredom for anxiety, and I don't think that's a good trade. Because boredom is easy to correct. It creates an opportunity for us to be creative or to do something new or to stop and worship. But anxiety anxiety is coming. Do not worry about your life, Jesus commands. The question is, will we obey? Because it's not just like, oh, okay, yeah, I won't be anxious, I won't worry. If we're going to obey, it means I have to choose to live in his kingdom. I have to live like he commanded in the Sermon on the Mount. I have to choose to do away with some of the things that I really enjoy but aren't healthy or good for me. Because of Jesus, we don't have to live anxiety-ridden lives. But so often, I choose anxiety over simply following God. Way jesus lived and loved let's pray lord jesus thank you for rescuing us from sin and death on the cross thank you for giving us new life by walking out of the grave We said death is defeated we don't need to fear death we can live right now in your kingdom we can experience the presence of god in our everyday lives you invite us to become students of how you lived and loved And I'm so grateful that the life you offer is a life free from anxiety and fear. Lord, the most common command you made in scripture is do not be afraid. And Lord, I pray that if there's fearful people here right now, that you encourage them, that you let them know that you're a loving God who's with them and for them. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to live as non-anxious people by practicing your disciplines of simplicity. don't need all this stuff chiming at us and chirping at us. Solitude, stopping to meditate and think about you. Silence, getting rid of all distractions so that we can hear from you and speak to you. Lord, help us to faithfully live and love like you did so that we can enjoy the non-anxious life that you lived. I can't imagine living life knowing that I was heading towards a cross. But you did. Because you lived a non-anxious life. May we be students of your way of life. Amen.